This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Essentially, it is all on us. We get dropped off on a, by a twin otter plane and we go approximately 10 to 12 kilometers a day and then we sleep on the ice. That's Dr. Sandy scott Nicky. In a few weeks, she'll embark on a 10-day trek to the North Pole to raise money for wounded veterans. It's an example of a growing trend that many Zoomers are embracing, doing good by taking on extreme challenges. Dr. scott Nicky joins me today. Plus, a story very closely bound up with my own. New research here in Toronto could lead to the first effective treatment for some patients with the deadliest form of cancer. I'll talk to surgical oncologist Dr. Stephen Gallinger about his work on the connection between the BRCA gene mutation and pancreatic cancer. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Troubling news for British Zoomers. A new report out of the UK finds the number of people over 65 who are receiving basic elder care, that's help with things like washing, eating and shopping, has dropped by a third in the last eight years. Last year, almost 900,000 people received this kind of help, compared to 1.2 million in 2005. This despite rapid growth in the demographic. Age UK, the organization behind the study, estimates at least 800,000 people are going without vital help. They say all the money in the world won't make you live forever, but some uber-rich entrepreneurs are trying to change that. Craig Venter, the U.S. scientist who raced the U.S. government to map the human genome over a decade ago and created synthetic life in 2010, is now on a quest to treat age-related disease. Ventner, who is 67, has teamed up with stem cell pioneer Dr. Robert Hariri and XPRIZE Foundation founder Dr. Peter Diamandis, who has presented at Idea City. They're forming Human Longevity, Inc., a company that will use both genomics and stem cell therapies to find treatments that allow aging adults to stay healthy for as long as possible. The startup has already received $70 million in private funding. Bill Gates is once again the richest man in the world. The Microsoft co-founder has regained this title after a four-year hiatus where Mexican telecom mogul Carlos Slim took the top spot. Gates' net worth is currently estimated at $76 billion, most of which he plans to give away. Along with Warren Buffett, he's the co-creator of the Giving Pledge, which encourages billionaires to dedicate at least 50% of their wealth to philanthropic endeavors. Gates himself plans to give away 95% of his fortune. His Gates Foundation is committed to a variety of causes, most notably eradicating malaria. Well, from the world's richest person to the world's oldest person who has some advice for us. 
Eat and sleep, and you will live a long time. Those are the words of Japan's Misao Okawa, who celebrated her 116th birthday this week. She married in 1919 and had three children, of which a daughter and a son are still alive. She has four grandchildren and six great grandchildren. She spent the last 18 years of her life at the Kurinai Retirement Home, where, according to staff, she eats. Three large meals a day and make sure that she sleeps eight hours a night. I'm Libby Zneimer. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. So, Libby, this is the、uh, biospecimen repository where we store all kinds of human samples,、uh, ranging from blood, DNA, RNA, protein,、uh, tumor cells, saliva,、uh, for From patients all around the world. That's Dr. Stephen Gallinger showing me the tumor repository in the bowels of the Lunenfeld Tannenbaum Research Institute here in Toronto. He's just received a $1.25 million grant from the Canadian Cancer Society to collect and study hundreds of samples here. The hope is they will hold the key to the first effective treatment for some patients with the deadliest form of cancer. It has a lot to do with my story. I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer more than five years ago. I'm alive today because my doctors realized I carry the BRCA genetic mutation and they treated me accordingly. They now realize other patients have the same mutation and believe their treatments can work better. I came to you five years ago and、um, nobody thought I was going to make it, and what happened? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's a bit ironic that you're interviewing me. So, five or six years ago, we saw you with a tumor that was obviously、uh, a bad pancreas cancer because it was invading or encasing the, what we call the SMA or the superior mesenteric artery and the vein, I think. And you told us a story of having a BRCA mutation, which was interesting. I, we've known for, I've known for at least 15 years that there is this association. It hasn't really been picked up in the, even in the scientific or medical literature. It just, it just was an association that was statistically interesting. But around that time, there wasn't evidence from breast and ovary cancer that there's a new class of drugs and even an old class of drugs that might work for cancers that have been associated with. In people who have these mutations in the BRCA genes.、Uh, I believe their medical, your medical oncologist tried to get one of these fancy new drugs, but the companies were resistant. So,、uh, Dr. Moore Malcolm、uh, gave you platinum, cisplatinum, which is a very, very old drug. But the research that has been emerging the past few years suggests that the tumors that are associated with BRCA may be more sensitive. So, we gave you that drug. And your tumor marker, the CA199, fell, and the CT scan looked quite remarkable. For me, that was very much an aha moment because we haven't seen that kind of response in. I've been practicing for, well, 25 years, so it was 20 years, and we had tried many times to downstage or downsize other people's pancreas cancer, but we never were able to remove it, and no one in the pancreas cancer community expects tumors to shrink enough to remove them. But that's what happened here, and、uh, we were able to remove it. And you got additional treatment, and you're standing here now. So we, we like to take credit for it. It's not so much us, it's more the science. And it was very much, you know, like we said, an aha moment because it could have been just a one off story. But、uh, we subsequently treated a couple other people. And then we started hearing stories from colleagues、uh, around the world at other major pancreas cancer centers like MD Anderson 
memorial, Sloan Kettering. Uh, my friend in Israel has been treating a few patients and she has the same story. This is the way I kind of understand it, is yeah. that uh, the bad news is I have this mutation. Right. The good news is the cancer also has the mutation. Right. Therefore, when you target it with the drug, uh, it prevents the cancer from repairing its DNA. Is correct. that correct? That's right. That's, That's right. right. Not everybody with a BRCA pancreas cancer is cured with chemotherapy. What we're seeing in these early days, I call these early days, is that we're seeing better responses, longer life, you know, people like you with, have, you know, more miraculous stories, but the miraculous stories are not that common even today, so that's why we're doing the research. About 4% of pancreatic cancer patients have the mutation, so what percentage of those would have a really good response so far? Depends how you define really good. Don't forget, that even of those 4%, the majority present with incurable disease. So of those, which is the majority, uh, I would say over half have responded better than we expected. And those were generating those improved survival curves. Majority, none of those patients were cured though. The ones that have been cured were those who had operable tumors or just inoperable like yours. Do you think that you will be able to apply what you're learning here to other patients aside from the ones that have the BRCA mutations? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be an all or none effect. You know, we think it's probably a spectrum. What we're thinking is that this small percentage of people with the BRCA mutation, I mean, it's significant, but it's a small fraction. We think there's another fraction of maybe 10% of patients who have a similar type of genetic abnormality, and we're going to be biopsying as many tumors as we can, trying to develop a a blood test or a genetic signature that can predict who should get the type of treatment. We're going to treat them and then we would be happy if they were all cured but we know they won't be. They're going to ha hopefully have a response and then when the cancer comes back we're going to biopsy them again when they're resistant and we're going to look at the genetic differences to understand the mechanism of resistance because there's going to be something we're going to find that's either missing or gained compared to the original tumor that will hopefully explain why the chemotherapy wasn't as successful as everybody hoped, and then there'll be hopefully a new drug or a new therapy for those patients. This is just, I wouldn't say a spit in the ocean or a hangnail, but you know, it's, it's a small incremental advance. You know, people want cures for cancer. You read it everywhere. You know, when, when are we gonna have a cure for cancer? There, there is no cure for cancer. There's a little incremental advances that make a difference for different cancers. We'll keep you posted on any advances that come out of Dr. Gallinger's research. I'm Libby's Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. You might be burned out by people asking for donations when they participate in charity bike rides, walks, or jogs. But what if they were climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or trekking to the North Pole? Would that encourage you to get your wallet out? Dr. Sandy Scott-Nicky hopes so. In just a moment, she'll tell us about an upcoming Arctic expedition to raise money for wounded soldiers. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. By day, she's a dermatologist with a busy practice and the mother of three. By night, she is a darling of Toronto's social scene. Now, Dr. Sandy Scott-Nicky is training for a grueling 10-day trek to the North Pole to raise money for wounded veterans. 
She's part of a growing cohort of Zoomers who are doing good while testing their own limits on extreme adventures. We chatted here at the Zoomerplex. This year, we are going on April 18th to the Magnetic North Pole. Uh, We are taking, again, with us 12 wounded soldiers. Most of them have post-traumatic stress. One gentleman has one leg. And we have a lot more civilians this time. Weekend warriors, we call ourselves, who like adventure and want to push ourselves and for a good cause. So there's 50 uh, total on the team. What does True Patriot Love do? So True Patriot Love was started by Sean Francis, I think it's six years ago, five years ago. He started a charity to raise funds for the military families as well as the men when they come back from war with injuries. Because there really isn't, there's not, there's not a Veterans Act anymore. The Veterans Act is for the soldiers from World War II and one, which there's almost none left. So there really isn't a lot of resources, and there certainly isn't any resources for the families that are left behind. We keep hearing these terrible stories yeah. about what happens to veterans when mm-hmm. they come back and the way their families are treated. Well, there's just, no infrastructure, there's no funding. Yeah. Just just now there's this horrible with story the about cent, the, the, oh. the mother of, yeah. of a soldier who committed suicide getting a one-cent one check. check. Yeah. Unbelievable. This expedition is a, it's a multi-purpose, it's, it's to raise awareness through the documentary and just through, you know, people talking about it and fundraising. Obviously, it's a, it's a platform to raise money. Um, it's a chance to give these 12 soldiers uh, sort of a cathartic journey which is to, you know, sort of maybe help them come on the other side of if it's the post-traumatic stress or a physical ailment. One of the sad things I learned when we went, we did a training in Quebec was that if a soldier comes clean and says he, has po- he or she has post-traumatic stress, they're automatically discharged. Because you can't function as a soldier with post-traumatic stress disorder. So basically you're, you know, you're ending your career by coming forward and saying you have a problem. And then they're really have nothing, right? They don't have a job. They don't have their career. What does it entail? You're yeah. trekking to the uh, magnetic North Pole. Yeah. How long? It's crazy, con- basically. <laughs> <laughs> when most of my friends go, what are you, are you nuts? And I, and I am, I have to say, it's, it's scaring me a little bit, which is a good thing because I'm really uh, trying to train hard. Essentially, it is all on us. There's no dogs. There's no Sherpas. There's no snowmobiles. We get dropped off on a, by a twin otter plane approximately 100, it's actually 133 kilometers that we're going. And we have cross-country skis or snowshoes. We have a sled that we pull our own gear. And we go approximately 10 to 12 kilometers a day. And then we sleep on the ice or the land, depending on where we're going to be. You pitch a... Pitch a tent. And we've got to go at a really slow pace so that we don't overheat and we don't get cold. It's not a rush. It's a rush in that we have 10 days to do it, but apparently that is ample time. <laughs> we'll see. It seems that... More and more people, Zoomers, are doing these extreme kinds of things. I mean, I did a Mm 60-kilometer walk for three years, and I thought that was a big Mm -hmm. deal. But compared to what you're doing, it's a walk in the park, quite literally. I think a lot of people, you know, maybe successful business types, they've done so so much. They work so hard, and they want to do something that is outside the box, like, you know, trek to the Mount Everest or go down the Amazon on something or go to the North Pole. What made you want to do this? My personal it- reason? That's well, varied. I mean, uh, I mean, I lost my mother uh, five years ago. Sorry to hear. Yeah, and that was hard, and that was unexpected. And then um, 
I was very sick. I was very ill two years ago. I almost lost my own life. It's a bit dramatic, but it was pretty serious. And I think those kind of things just focus you and you kind of realize life is short. And, you know, when, and when you get offered an opportunity like this, like, why would you say no, really? I mean, the only reason you'd say no is a bit of fear. Like, if you can figure out what the problems are and how to sort of, you know, you got to get in shape, which was one of the impetuses for me saying yes because I was out of shape after I was sick. So You, you seem know, to be in pretty good shape to me. I am now, yeah. I've been working, like, you know, working out almost every other day, so sometimes every day, which is great. And you, you almost need sometimes that sort of push, right? Uh, and then the other thing was I do love adventure. I mean, I, I mean, who gets to go to the North Pole? Dr. Sandy Scott-Nicky, thanks so much. Thank you. You can support the Arctic Circle Expedition by donating online at www.truepatriotlove.com. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, and people say we monkey around. Mickey Dolenz of the Monkeys is celebrating a birthday this weekend, and coming up, we'll hear the story about how the one-time imaginary band went on to dominate the Billboard charts. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, there's still time to see legendary actors Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart in Harold Pinter's No Man's Land and Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot. Both McKellen and Stewart have received knighthoods for their services to drama and the performing arts. They're on stage at the Court Theater until the end of the month. In Los Angeles, the Porters of Hell's Gate take on Shakespeare's most famous play about war. Henry V stars and is directed by Charles Pasternak, who's getting rave reviews. And in Paris, a new exhibition marks the 200th anniversary of the death of the Empress Josephine. Visitors to the Grand Palais are invited to enter Josephine's private world during her marriage to Napoleon Bonaparte and in her life after divorce. The exhibit includes some of the love letters Napoleon wrote to Josephine. Josephine. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. This weekend, Mickey Dolenz from the Monkees is celebrating his 69th birthday. In 1965, Dolenz was cast in a new television show about an imaginary band trying to become the next Beatles. His role was as the band's drummer and lead singer. To inject a personal note, as a small child watching, Mickey was my favorite. At the same time, he didn't know how to play the drums at all. He had to take lessons just to be able to make the proper actions. But he quickly picked up the rest and went on to play everything on his own. It was around the same time that the Monkees switched from being a fictional band on TV to a real-life band that dominated the pop charts. They became an overnight sensation, attracting legions of screeching fans whenever they appeared in public. Their international hits include I'm a Believer, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Daydream Believer, and A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You. 
Their TV show was canceled in 1968, but the group kept releasing albums into the early 70s. And like many Zoomers, they're still at it. Last year, they embarked on a 24-city tour playing to many of us who loved them back then. Right now, we'll hear one of their earliest hits, first number one they had on the Billboard charts. Here is Last Train to Clarksville. That was the Monkees with Last Train to Clarksville. Mickey Dolenz is celebrating his 69th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bendry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.